Lord, what a, what a joy and a privilege it is to be able to come into this place to worship You. To lift up Your name in exaltation and praise. What greater thing can we do, Lord, than to praise You, than to lift You up and to worship Your name? And so, Father, I pray that in Jesus' name, You would send the Holy Spirit into this place and into the heart of Your people and into our midst to continue to help us, Lord, in a spirit of worship. Even as we open Your Word, I pray that we would do it in a way that just seeks to honor You and to worship You as we seek to learn more about You, as we seek to hear Your voice about our own lives. So give us ears to hear that we would not miss anything You want to say to us and give us eyes to see that we would not miss anything You wish to show to us. And give us hearts that are malleable, Lord, that can be conformed into the image of Christ. We thank you for this time. We give it to you and ask your blessing in it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, Rock Harbor. It's good to see everyone. When I was a student at Cal State Northridge, I would attend a Bible study that they often had every semester. Um, every semester there was a church in Northridge, larger church, and one of the pastors would come and teach a Bible study on campus, and at different times each semester. So some semesters I could go because my class load allowed it, and other semesters I couldn't. <clears throat> well, this one particular spring semester, um, the study happened in you know, a period between two classes, so I had an opportunity to go to the Bible study. And the first day I went into the study, I ran into a man by the name of Jesse. Now, what drew me to Jesse was not the tattoos. He had them from head to toe. It was the wheelchair. You see, Jesse was a quadriplegic. But there's something about him that just drew you in. And so I went to the Bible study. Uh, you know, we introduced ourselves. I met Jesse and said hello. And, and over the next couple of weeks, you know, I'd say, hey, how you doing? And we would talk. And, and one day after Bible study, he said, hey, Darren, do you have a, some time? You know, maybe grab a Coke or something to drink. I said, yeah, I've got some time before my next class. Let's go. So it was a beautiful spring day. So we went out to the quad there in Cal State Northridge. We each got a drink, and we're sitting there. And I just said, Jesse, okay, let's just get this out of the way. Tell me about the wheelchair. And he said, Darren, this wheelchair saved my life. I said, okay, Jesse, you're going to have to explain that one to me. And he proceeded to tell me his testimony. Jesse grew up at a very young age, was a gangbanger, was involved in a San Fernando Valley gang. And one night... There was a drive-by shooting, and Jesse was shot in the neck and paralyzed from the neck down. And he began to tell me his story of how Jesus completely changed his life after that. The encounter he had with the Lord while he was lying there in a hospital bed, just contemplating what life was going to be after that moment. And I remember him telling me, clear as day, he said, you know, Darren, this wheelchair 
It's the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm going to tell you something right now. As a young Christian who was just kind of making his way in Jesus, that statement made a big impression on me coming from this young man. Jesse was, I think, 22 or maybe 23 years old. And I learned an important lesson from Jesse over that semester. I learned that God can take what looks to us to be a complete and total mess, and he can turn it into a masterpiece. I never saw Jesse again after that semester. But I'll never forget his example in my life. And so today, I want us to talk a little bit about that lesson. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to be picking up in verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. So why don't we go ahead, let's read this together. Picking up in verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, at the very centerpiece of this passage, of course, lies verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is an absolute magnificent promise that God has given us. But it is also a conditional promise and often taken out of context. Now I want us to talk about this a little bit more in depth today and understand the absolute wonderful promise it is for those of us who have put our hope in Jesus Christ. But let's get ourselves to that point first. Earlier, we saw how Paul made clear to us that creation groans in brokenness because of sin. That because sin entered into the world, we recognize that creation groans in this brokenness and it yearns and desires for renewal, for restoration. But we also see how we too groan in brokenness, that we yearn for our resurrection body for the restoration that God is going to bring us when he returns, and at the culmination of all things. Yet in all of these things, we still have hope. Even though there is tremendous brokenness in the world, even though we see that creation has a brokenness, even though there's broke, the brokenness of sin in our lives, we still have hope. And not just hope, but we have a living hope. Why is this? Because we understand a very fundamental truth 
that we saw last week. And that truth is this, that the suffering we experience today pales in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed in us tomorrow. That the joy that lies ahead of us is far greater than the sorrow that lies behind us. And so we can take hope. We can take hope in knowing that God has a future for us that is wonderful and glorious. But not just a future that is glorious. I believe that God also has something for us in the right now. All right? God has something for us that he wants us to experience deep and abiding joy in the here and in the now. And this is where the Holy Spirit in many ways comes in. The Holy Spirit comes in to fill our lives with a deep sense of his presence, a sense of his power, and a sense of his provision in our lives. So that today, even now, we can have deep joy knowing that Tomorrow lies great things, but there is also great things for us in the here and now. <clears throat> Look, Paul isn't trying in any ways to minimize the suffering and the difficulties that we go through in life. You know, all of us on some level have messes in our lives. Would you agree? There's some messes in my life. We all have messy lives. Now, some of, these lives, some of these messes are bigger than others. Some of these messes are more profound than others. And so these words, in any ways, aren't to minimize the suffering. It's to minimize the mess. It's not to say, pretend that mess isn't there. No, no, no. It's to be able to see it from a different perspective. It's to be able to see the mess in our life from a perspective not just of eternity, but from the perspective of how the Holy Spirit would have us see things in the here and now. And so as we go into this word, we can have hope. And we can have hope in our messes. Look, no matter what mess happens to be in your life today, you can have hope. Why is that? Well, let's take a look why. We can have hope in our mess because first and foremost, God is our strength in tough times. God is our strength in the midst of our messes. Again, let's look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In our weakness. You know, the Spirit often is lifting us up in ways that we often don't even recognize. I'm convinced that if the Spirit wasn't in my life, there would be days I'd be nothing more than just a heap on the floor. Just on the floor. But God lifts me up. He gets me out of bed. He gets one foot in front of the next. I would love nothing more than to think, than to think it's me, but it's not. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit working in my life. And so we see that the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't even know how to pray. We're going to God and we're just like, Lord, I mean, if our hearts are honest, there are times I go before the Lord and I say, I, I don't even know what to say in this situation. And so I'm just crying out to you for help in this moment. 
And it's in this moment that we can have great encouragement. Why? Because the Spirit himself, God the Holy Spirit, is praying for us in groanings too deep for words, in words that we can't even understand, in a language that is only comprehensible to the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, speaking in a language that they understand and praying for us in the midst of our mess, of our suffering, and our difficulty. We can have hope because we know that God is our strength in tough times. This is how the psalmist put it. In Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Do you ever call out to the God in that? Say, God, you are my strength and my hope in this time of trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. So we know that God is our strength in tough times. In tough times, we call out to him. In the midst of our mess, we seek him out and ask for his strength. And I'm going to tell you something right now. If you ask God for strength, he will give you strength. He will help you to bear it up in your time of need. But you need to call out to him. Look, we need to humble ourselves before God. And when I mean humble ourselves, it, we need to kind of get to a place where pride is no longer that reigning factor in our lives. You understand? Where we just get on our knees before God and we just say, God, I have lost all semblance of pride in this moment, to which God would reply, good. <laughs> Excellent. Because you can't carry this weight. Indeed, you are not meant to carry this weight. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Cast your burdens upon me and I will give you rest. We need to learn to cast our cares upon God in our time of need. The old kind of, you know, Western Americana, pull up yourself up by your bootstraps mentality doesn't work in this situation. We need to humble ourselves before God because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before the Lord and ask him to come into your mess. God is our strength in tough times. God is the strength in the midst of our messes. So we can have hope in our mess because we see that God is our strength in tough times. But second, we can have hope in our mess because God is at work in our lives. God is at work in our lives. Let's look here in verse 28. Let's look at verse 28. And we know that, did you catch that? And we know that. What does no mean? K-N-O-W. I'm not talking about N-O. That's something I said to my kids. Do you know what no means? No. And we know that. In other words, we don't hope that. We don't suppose that. Maybe that. I mean, imagine what it says. And maybe God works for those who love God. And What? No. 
And we know that we, this is something we can rest assured in. We can stand on this. This is a firm foundation. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, I want to make something very clear in this. Many people have taken this verse and kind of twisted it a little bit and say, well, you know, all things are good or all things work out for good, to which I say, eh, well, maybe not. Why is that? Because there's some conditions in this. This is actually a conditional promise. And it's conditional based on a few things. First, let's go through them one at a time. And we know that for those who love God, stop right there. This promise is conditional for those who love God. Relationship is essential in this situation. Relationship is essential. This promise is for those who know God through Jesus Christ. And we know for those who love God. What did Jesus say? The greatest thing you can do, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. For those who love God. Relationship is essential in this. This isn't about whether or not you've been a good boy or girl or anything like that. This is about the fact, do you have relationship with him? You know, once I was listening to um, a sermon. He was uh, by Tony Evans. You know who Tony Evans is? You know, whenever I want to get inspired in preaching, I just listen to Tony Evans. And so I was listening to him do a sermon. He was talking about how he was invited to a basketball game, uh, I think by a worker of the Dallas Mavericks. And so he was, went to this game and he had like this card, you know, he's a, a, a chaplain and all that. So he comes walking up to the back door because they, you know, they, you know, he was told, come to the back door and, you know, and everything and uh, where the players walk in. And he walks up there and there's these guards there and they look at him and he goes, hi, I'm Tony Evans. And they said, that's terrific. <laughs> well, I was invited. And to which they said, good for you. And he said, well, I'm, he said, no. They just said, no, no. And he's like, well, wait a minute. Hey, I'm a, and he started like, I'm a chaplain. And, he, and to which everything they said, that's nice. That's terrific. Fantastic. Wonderful. Good for you. And he's just kind of standing there going, what in the world is going on? And then his friend who invited him, who was a, an executive with the team, comes out and goes, hey, Tony, there you are. Come on in. And then he looks, they, he, the guy looks at the guard and says, he's with me. And the guards go, okay. And they whisked him on in. And he said, you know, standing there, I was a nobody. But when I had relationship with this guy, I was a somebody. I'm going to tell you something right now. You know Jesus, you're a somebody. And so this promise is for those who love God. You love God, you know Jesus? Well, there you go, right there. We can know that God is at work in your life. The second thing we see that God is at work in our life here, not only for those who love God, but second thing, the second thing is all things work together. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together. Now, what does all mean? All means all, and that's all all means. All right? I'll say that again. All means all, and that's all all means. There's going to be some good things. There's going to be some bad things. Understand that. The promise here is not that everything that happens in your life is good. The promise here is this that God can take everything that happens in your life 
and use it for good. That's the promise. Do you understand? God is not saying everything that happens in your life is going to be a good thing. There's going to be some bad things that happen in our lives. There's going to be some messy things that happen in our lives. And you know what? They're bad things. There is pre- evil is prevalent in the world in which we live. Make no mistake. He is not saying that everything that happens to you will be good. He is saying that he can take everything that happens to you and use it for good. Perhaps one of the most important examples of this in Scripture is the example of Joseph. Does everybody remember Joseph? All right. One of the 12 sons, uh, you know, that, of which Israel was founded. And the older brothers of Joseph did not like Joseph. He was one of the youngest sons, and so he was kind of like the baby. And, you know, and he was a dreamer. And he had the favor of his father. And it drove his older brothers nuts. You know, they hated him for it. In fact, it got so bad that they wanted to kill Joseph. But they thought the better of it. And instead, they sold Joseph, their brother, into slavery. And Joseph was taken into slavery as a slave into Egypt, where he was sold to Potiphar. And he served in Potiphar's house. And there in Potiphar's house, Potiphar prospered because of Joseph. But Potiphar's wife took a notice of Joseph. And so she tried to seduce him. But Joseph, as a righteous man, rebuffed her her seduction, and she accused Joseph of trying to rape her, to which Potiphar felt he had no need but to throw Joseph in jail. It's like, it just gets worse for Joseph. And yet, in all of this, Joseph is just trying to do what? He's trying to do what's right. But we see that God orchestrates all these events. All, and finally, we notice that Joseph has a gift. He can read dreams, and he does this for Pharaoh. Joseph rises to the level of the second highest in the kingdom of Egypt. And God used him in that position to draw his people Israel into the land during a time of severe famine. And notice what Joseph says to his brothers, because his brothers did encounter him again. And they thought, man, he's alive and we're in trouble. But what did Joseph say to his brothers? Here's what he said. And this is where we need to take note. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Look, all things work together. Not all things are, that happen to us are good, but God can take all things that happen to us and he can use them for good. He can use them for good. God can take it. Look, know this for certain. What the enemy intends for evil, God can take and use for good in our lives. So we see that God is at work in our lives, not only for those who love God, and we see that God is at work in our lives in that all things work together. But we also see that God is at work in our lives for his purpose. For his purpose. Again, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what is his purpose for us? 
Well, I think God actually has a number of purposes for us. The main purpose he has for us is talked about right here in the next verse, but we'll get to that in a minute. But what are some other purposes that God has for us in allowing us to endure difficult and trying times? What other purposes does God have in allowing us to endure, to have messes in our lives? Well, one of them is that we just grow from it, that we just grow. Notice what Romans 5, 3 through 5 says. Paul writes in Romans 5, he says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Some translations say hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. I think James himself says, um, brothers, we should rejoice in the trials that we face. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. God has a purpose. He allows difficulties and trials to have a purpose in our lives. I like how John Piper puts it. In his book, A Sweet and Bitter Providence, John Piper writes this. He says, life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us feel in our bones and not just know in our heads that God is for us in all these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He is plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. He is absolutely right. God has a deeper purpose that ultimately he desires to bring glory to himself and to bring glory to Jesus, even through the troubles that we face. Because not only in our troubles are we to focus on Jesus, but others should see the trouble we face that we too are focused on him. That he is our source of strength. That he is our source of hope. And so we see that we can go from mess to masterpiece. Masterpiece. What does this masterpiece look like? You know, Paul is not waving away our tribulations. And he is not saying that everything that happens to us is good. All right? Paul is not just kind of waving the hand at our tribulations or our trials. Paul never does that. He never does that, especially with the own trials that he faces. He's quite upfront about them. He's quite honest about them. And in many cases, he's very detailed about some of the troubles he has faced. But in all of them, he recognizes that it is God who has gotten him through them. And that God has a purpose in them. Look, God's promise is not that we will never face trouble. God's promise is that all the things we face will contribute ultimately to our temporal and internal benefit. And this challenges us. It challenges us to see things from a different perspective. It challenges us to see things from an eternal perspective, from a larger 
perspective. This is hard to do sometimes. I will be the first to admit that sometimes in the midst of your mess, it is hard to have perspective in that situation. It's hard to have perspective in that situation. That when you're in the middle of of the storm around you, it's hard to have a sense of calm, a sense of peace, a sense of God's presence. But that's the very thing we need. The last thing we need to be doing in the midst of our mess is running around like chickens with their heads cut off, screaming, ah, it's over, you know? What we need is perspective. And, and when God brings us to this place to give us perspective, to help, help us see things from an eternal perspective, a perspective that will not only change our minds, but also change our hearts as we seek to make sense of the events that are happening around us. Whether those events are personal, whether those events happen to deal with family members or neighbors or coworkers or even just the world around us. God wants us to have a sense of perspective, a perspective that is ultimately rooted and grounded and built on the foundation of Christ. So that our hope comes from that place. Having this perspective reveals a few things. First, such a perspective reveals that God uses our experience to conform us to the image of Christ. And this is that one purpose I was talking about earlier. Notice what it says here in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. You see, when we talk about the purpose, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God uses our experiences to conform us to the image of Christ. He wants to conform us into his image. Do you think Jesus suffered? He suffered. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews talks about how Jesus even learned obedience in his sufferings. God wants to conform us unto his image. God's promise is not that we will not go through hard times, but that he will use those hard times to transform us, to change us, to move us, to grow us, to mature us. I like what, the, what John says here in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the amazing thing. God is using our experiences to transform us and conform us to the image of Christ. And when he returns, what's great is that we shall see him as he is and we too shall be like him. Why? Because in this life we have been transformed even through our challenges and our messes and our suffering into the image of Christ that we would have the character of Christ living in us 
conformed unto the image of his son. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I like what uh, Timothy Keller writes. Timothy Keller, in his sermon on a Christian's happiness, writes this. He says, God does not promise you a better life circumstances if you love him. He promises you a better life. Grad school and marriage are circumstances. We're talking about a joy that goes beyond circumstances. We cannot interpret verse 29 as a joy that is dependent on those things. Here is an important principle. Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become like him. The gospel does not promise you a better life circumstances. It promises you a better life. <laughs> now, I know for some people are like, oh, I don't know, Darren. I just, look, if you're carrying a heavy load, and I know some of you probably are carrying heavy loads, you might have family members who are struggling. You yourself might be struggling. Maybe there's a health issue, financial issue. It can just be any number of things. You never know what's happening in the life of the person sitting next to you. The private difficulties that they are struggling with, that they never talk about. Not because they're ashamed of them, but because they don't know what to do with them. And so they think, I'm just going to bear this on my own. This is my cross to bear. I encourage you to give it to God, to give it to him. This is not yours to bear. He bore it on the cross. If you are suffering today, I encourage you, please give it to God. Allow him to take this situation and to transform you through it, not to crush you under the weight of it. God does not want you to go through things that you be, be crushed under the weight of them, but rather that you learn to give them to him, that you allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life, to give you that strength, to invite the Holy Spirit in, to say, I can't carry this. Lord, would you take this burden from me? Would you be my strength in this time? And here's God's promise. He will strengthen you. He will carry that burden for you. And he will transform you through it. And so such a perspective reveals that first, God uses our experiences to conform us to the image of Christ. Second, we see that God will fulfill his promises in and through us. God will fulfill his promises in and through us through us. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. God will fulfill his purposes in and through us. He will fulfill his purposes. And second, I'm sorry, and third, and third, God will keep his promises. God will keep his promises. This is his promise that he will, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God will fulfill his promise. He has called you. He has justified you. He will glorify you. That is his promise. And what does it say? In Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this. I love this. I am sure of this, Paul writes. He doesn't say, I think this might happen. This is a possibility. It could be the case. He says, I am sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. God will fulfill his promises to you. He will transform us into the image of Christ to be conformed into the image of his son that we can have an impact in the world for which we live. But if you are carrying a burden today, I encourage you to release it unto him, to give it to him today. Father, I lift your church to you this day, asking your hand a blessing upon them, that you would go before them. Father, I pray that you would bless your people with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that whatever mess each one of the people in this room may be facing, that you, Lord, would take that mess and turn it into a masterpiece as we surrender it to you, as we give it to you, as we allow you to do your work in our lives through the messiness of it. And I pray that in all of this, you'd be glorified and magnified and lifted up and that your church would be built up and strengthened. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Have a wonderful week, Rock Harbor.